Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today we are going to be telling you part two of the Lori Vallow Daybell trial. Today I am drinking the same thing I was in part one because we're recording them on the same day. So got a nice iced coffee over here with some French vanilla protein in it. Ironically, I am not because I ran out of my Red Bull. So now I just have water like a lame She's so lame. All right. So pour yourselves whatever you're drinking and let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. All right. So we are on to part two, the final part of the Lori Vallow Daybell piece of this case. Obviously, you can probably figure it out. But if you haven't listened to part one of the trial episodes or the whole first three parts of the case itself, I recommend listening to those. You're going to be a lot less lost and... Also, we just want you to listen to us. So anyway, I'll go through my spiel again, though, just because we're going to be talking about the trial for Lori Vallow Daybell that occurred earlier this year in April and May of 2023. Part one, we talked a little bit about more circumstantial type evidence. This also is some circumstantial type evidence, but we're going to talk a little bit more about physical evidence they found from the deaths of Tammy Daybell, Tylee Ryan, and J.J. Vallow. And again, crimes against children. So, you know, viewer discretion is advised. I'll be honest, there are some kind of rough parts in this. And so I will give you guys a heads up. Erica's here for the ride. She can't leave. Sorry, Mike, you're going to have to listen to it too. This information points a lot to those who were involved directly or maybe indirectly with the deaths of these people. On October 19th of 2019, Chad Daybell had reported that his wife, Tammy Daybell, had gone to bed and didn't wake up. And as I mentioned in the earlier episodes, her cause of death or manner of death, I should say, was initially ruled as natural causes. They didn't do an autopsy. The kids didn't think anything suspicious. Chad said he wasn't suspicious because, you know, sketchy. And so they bury her and Chad takes out the life insurance policy that he has on his late wife. And this is $430,000, which is a pretty fair chunk of change, especially considering the timeline when Chad and Lori are looking to move to Hawaii, get married, lease a house. And considering she, and by she, I mean Lori, also had um, a kind of suspicious death happen to her late husband and tried to pull the life insurance policy on him, only to find out that she no longer was the primary beneficiary of it. 
And, you know, with all of this information coming to light, in December of 2019, investigators are like, you know what? We need to exhume Tammy's body and take a second look at this. Yes. Yes. Eric has been waiting for this. I kind of cliffhangered it. In the first episodes, we had an idea that this was happening, but it wasn't really until the trial that it was released what exactly their findings were. And... I'm just going to go ahead and read a quote from one of the prosecuting attorneys saying that when they exhumed her body and did an autopsy, they did find that Tammy Daybell died at, and this is a quote, died at the hands of another by asphyxiation. I had a feeling that her death was suspicious and she probably didn't die from natural causes, but I was really nervous that we were not going to actually find that out from anybody. And I am so I'm, I'm excited to hear what else we find out because Tammy deserves, obviously, to have answers. Like, her family deserves to have answers about actually what happened to her. The family that truly cared about her, I'm not including Chad and Lori in this. Absolutely. And, you know, just for what Tammy deserves and for her family, her kids, who genuinely didn't think anything of it, this closure needed to happen. And I'm so glad the decision was made to double check that because what a heartbreaking thing that could have happened, us not knowing that she actually was murdered by somebody. Now, if you remember, we did mention that at the time that they were announcing they were going to exhume Tammy's body, Lori's brother, Alex Cox, was a little concerned about it and his wife, Zaluma, was kind of questioning him about it. And Alex made a comment about thinking that Lori and Chad were setting him up to be the fall guy. Alex didn't elaborate and he unfortunately passed away soon after that. So we don't really have the information for that. I just have to say I really need them to exhume his body too. I just, I need to have more answers. And I know we're still moving through things and that there's still a chance but I have a feeling that you're not going to tell me today that they have exhumed his body. And so I'm really frustrated and I just need to hear more because once again, I think people deserve the truth. Right. And I agree. And so something I guess I'll note that I'll admit I just looked up real quick while we were talking about this because I I wanted to know. I do have a little bit more information about Alex Cox's death for you guys. What had supposedly happened is Alex Cox's stepson had actually found Alex lying on the floor of the bathroom, kind of gasping for air, and he was throwing up. And so he called 911, and obviously responders come to the home, and they take him to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. So apparently they did do an autopsy and toxicology report. And a medical examiner did determine that he died of natural causes and that he had died of blood clots that wedged into the arteries of his lungs. And he had also had high blood pressure that contributed to his death. And this supposedly was something that ran through the family. Apparently he was having like shortness of breath before all this happened. So in theory, I guess we can say that there wasn't anything suspicious. I don't know enough about medical stuff or anything to have any type of like real opinion on that. So I don't think I'll insert one, but that is what was reported. Okay. That gives me a little more information. I just, I don't know. Something in my gut feels a little off about it. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but be suspicious when you're looking at all the other people who died surrounding Lori and Chad. I mean, of course it sounds sketchy, especially right after he's telling his wife that, oh, they're setting me up kind of thing. Now I 
am going to get into kind of the circumstances leading up to the discovery of the kids' bodies and some of the other physical evidence they found. And so as I mentioned up at the top of the episode, this is going to be potentially a little bit more graphic, but I do think it's important to kind of identify how Lori might have been incriminated in the eyes of the jury. During the trial, a detective with the Idaho police, Detective Ray Hermosillo, had talked about that day that they found JJ and Tylee's remains. And if you guys remember, they had actually previously read some text messages from Chad to Tammy about finding during the day a big raccoon crawling along the fence and he shot it and like buried it in their pet cemetery and they thought it was weird they thought it was odd and so they kind of started there they found the pet cemetery and they just they just had a feeling and This is where they actually ended up finding Tylee's body. And I'm going to read just a few quotes to kind of give you an idea of how how brutal this kind of was. And I also do want to mention something that came up a lot because I followed, you know, the daily recaps of this trial. A lot of family members were there. Um, JJ's grandparents were a big role in all of this. And they had to see photos and hear this and The grandpa, whose name is escaping me right now, I apologize. It'll come back to me in like five minutes, probably. He like actually had to leave and get like medical help because I think he worked himself so much into a panic attack. And so I really feel a sense of like relief for them that they're this is over for them finally. As they were digging in this area, they start to find some quote bits and pieces end quote, of who they they really did assume was going to be Tylee. They could tell that these body parts had been burnt, and there were some quotes that I won't go into that you guys can easily look up that really paints the picture of the fact that whoever had murdered her or was involved was really trying to hide the evidence. They also found pieces of this burnt um, flesh and bone in a green bucket as well, which they believe was used to transport her body when they were trying to bury it. Um, They end up finding a partial skull. Eventually, they're able to confirm that it's Tylee that they found there. However, they weren't able to determine the cause of death because of the extreme manner in which they had tried to dispose of her body. Now, moving on to JJ, they found JJ buried a little ways away from where Tylee was. They were able to determine his cause of death. Something I want to mention, he was found wearing some um, red pajamas. And in the last episode, I mentioned a friend, Melanie Gibb, and her husband who had been visiting Lori. And Lori had just said that JJ had this episode and then Alex actually took him away and he was wearing the same pajamas. So they do think that that might have been the last night he was alive. Also really quick for me and for the listeners just to kind of keep track of everything. Melanie Gibb, is that the one that they, that Chad and Lori had said Tylee and JJ or JJ was with? When Correct. police were looking for him. Okay. Yep. I just yeah. realized that. They, it sounded like, were still pretty close or in contact with Lori and Chad kind of up until the end. I don't know the exact role, but I, I mean, obviously we know that they were staying with them still when this was clearly happening. And it is believed that Tylee had been killed 
prior to JJ. Dr. Garth Warren, who is a forensic pathologist, testified and he was looking into JJ's death. And so they were able to determine that he was asphyxiated with a plastic bag. Um, When they found him, he had a bag over his head and duct tape around his mouth and around the bag. They also were able to determine this from the scratch marks that were found on JJ's neck and then bruises on his wrists and ankles where he was bound by duct tape. Digging into some of the physical evidence that was found with this, Alex Cox's fingerprints were found on the plastic that was found with JJ's remains. And I think that's very important to know. Um, That's a kind of big bombshell that came out of this. Like, that's pretty directly tying Alex to the death of JJ. What? I wasn't expecting that necessarily. I was expecting it to be more Lori or Chad, and I I don't know. I don't know why I wasn't expecting that, because Alex obviously was involved in other murders or mysterious deaths. So, okay. That's awful. I will say, too, with uh, some more physical evidence that came out of the discovery of JJ's body, they did find Lori's hair on the duct tape that was found with his remains. And they did have an expert testify, the DNA expert testify that that the hair matched Laura's DNA profile. And so that's a pretty big thing, too, where you're able to, in theory, physically connect Lori to the crime. Now, you could say it's not crazy that her hair would be around JJ, you know, even if it wasn't in this intent. But you add it with all the other stuff that's going on and you can't help but think that she was involved in that, I will say for me. Now, those pieces along with the determination that Tammy's death was suspicious were really the big physical pieces that came out of this investigation and this trial. And I'm sure more will come up when we finally get to Chad's trial, but that's kind of what we're looking at for Lori's. Alrighty, so let's talk little bit about the defense and I'll be totally honest I don't have a lot of details about the defense's side and I think part of that's because they didn't have a lot they didn't end up calling any witnesses to the stand they also didn't bring Lori to the stand to question her because they probably felt this might not uh, go well for them. They didn't present any evidence essentially they said quote we don't believe the state has proven its case And that comes from her attorney, Jim Archibald. What they decide to go with is that they don't feel that there's any way you can directly say Lori had a hand in the deaths of these people. You can't prove that she knew about it or was involved in it. And that's, I mean, that's essentially what they're going with. They're saying that the jury needs to be paying attention to the burden of proof and the lack of evidence. And... They also kind of play into this, which I'm not surprised, no one's surprised, this idea that Chad is the one who manipulated Lori into doing all this stuff. And I mean, I guess you could have your own opinions on that. I think she latched on to what he was preaching, but she had her her ideas of what she believed in religion and thoughts and her pursuit in kind of this broader idea before she met Chad. And that's actually what attracted her to Chad. 
And because she met him, if you guys remember, at a convention, he was a podcaster. And that's how she met him. And he was essentially like, we've been married many times in different lives, past lives. And it was like, from reports of her friends and family that knew about it, it was instant. Like she was hooked on him. So I guess if you want to look at it in that sense, you can make your own determination on how influenced she was. And with this, they're also saying that Chad is kind of the mastermind behind the killings and the premeditation. And that, yeah, Laura maybe lied to protect Chad, but she didn't have that, like, that firsthand, like, that firsthand involvement. I am trying to decide how I feel about that. I did read this quote in defense of the defense's stand. (laughs) that I thought was really interesting that kind of stuck with me. And I'll be honest about that. Okay, quote, how can someone have that much control over you? We've heard how reason and common sense go out the window sometimes when religious principles are involved, end quote. And that's not wrong at all. When you think about any type of like big cult situations or, you know, people being influenced by somebody who is very persuasive and narcissistic it's not out of the realm and it has happened many times where you get kind of caught up in this ideology and you're doing what you genuinely think you have to do the question is whether that's this case or not yeah i mean it's definitely possible that that is what happened but there were lives taken in this and regardless of whether or not she actively did them she stood by and allowed them and i'm gonna go out on a limb and say she knew about them the trial's done now right so you have a correct a verdict yes and you have the charges mm-hmm. okay i'm curious to see what it is sure do. to see if she actually got like charged with any of the murders or if she's just getting charged with conspiracy or involvement things like that covering up a crime scene i'm sure that there's a lot of charges that they're going to try to tack on to her and then also chad i do feel like he is going to get the majority of the stuff because he is the one very clearly he claims to be the leader of all this so i really hope that the charges are more for him but i am curious i don't know that i wouldn't call her innocent in this though i i I would say that she 100 knew what was going on and she didn't stop it I do agree, though, that she is probably mentally ill in some aspect and was 100% manipulated, which is unfortunate how far the manipulation went. But there is a point where she could have taken a little step back, especially when it came to protecting her children, because everybody has that maternal instinct. Like that maternal instinct is it's natural, typically. Right. So the fact that we didn't see that set in either is what's concerning me. Yes. I don't want to say everybody has maternal instinct, but it is considered a natural response. It's probably yeah. the way to word that. You know, that's the norm for sure. And the thing too that, you know, you just said something that I wanted I want to touch on. Colby, which is Lori's oldest kid, he is adamant and he talks about it in the docuseries um that I watched and in the trial like Lori was a good mom and took the kids out of dangerous situations pre this, obviously, pre Chad. And I think that's interesting to look at that she definitely had that maternal instinct. And, you know, that's noted. And so it does, it is interesting to look at where this kind of flows, ebbs and flows from that. 
And then something I want to note too that Erica and I kind of mentioned not recording, but I thought about. Originally, they were going to try Lori and Chad together. They ended up separating their trials, so they're not together. Part of this kind of deal, and I don't know exactly how it happened, for Lori to be tried, she was not... The, the judge took the death penalty off the table. So that is not an option. And I think that's just something to note too. Yeah. And so with that, let's let's talk about the jury and kind of what they came to. I do have to say I'm not surprised that the death penalty was taken off the table for her. I could see it being left on the table for Chad, but I'm not surprised that they took it off for her for a couple of reasons. One, if they took it off the table, she may be willing to talk more about Chad and kind of give some information but also there was the manipulation aspect of everything and then I wouldn't be surprised if there was like I said some sort of underlying mental illness that needed to be addressed in the situation and so death penalty just doesn't completely sound right in this I know that my like initial thought and instinct is oh she probably deserves to die if she killed her kids but I think that it is highly likely that she's not the one that actually committed the murder and she probably was standing by. And so I'm trying to look at this from a very legal standpoint and justice system standpoint. And I'm, so it's not surprising to me that they took off the death penalty. Also, remind me, what state was she being tried in? Idaho. Idaho. Okay. I don't know much about their death penalty beliefs. I really don't either. I mean, all I know about Idaho is that a lot of potatoes come from there. Well, what I can say is that the jury did find her guilty on all charges. So she was convicted of conspiring to commit the murder of JJ and Ty Lee and Tammy, but she was also convicted of grand theft and first degree murder of JJ and Ty Lee. Apparently, when they read the verdict, she displayed no visible emotion and that you didn't really get much out of her. And she just kind of calmly walked out of the courtroom and didn't say anything to her attorneys. And so just to kind of start to wrap this up, the sentencing has not happened yet. It should come up in the next couple months and we'll probably throw a little update in or we'll put it in with either her next trial that's going to happen in Arizona for the death of Charles Vallow and her involvement in it. Or we'll put it in the Chad Daybell case. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, the name was going to come to me out of nowhere. Larry Woodcock is JJ's grandpa. I just remembered that. Um, but he's, you know, hit him and his wife were giving some information, you know, just talking after the fact. When they came out of the um, courtroom after the, the verdict was read, they were met with like cheers and applause from people. There were a lot of people really invested in this case and really curious to see how it was going to play out because it was a long time coming. A lot of people were invested and I think a lot of them probably got the outcome they were looking for. We have not seen the trial for Chad Daybell yet. A loose date is maybe in June of 2024. However, there's no firm date set yet. And so we will be covering that as soon as it happens. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com.
All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crime over coffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple podcast, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.